All you reality TV lovers, we've got an extra special episode of The Girls Uninterrupted with our very own Aisha Scott from the latest season of Below Deck Mediterranean, all thanks to Hey You, the best of reality TV. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. So Tinder might want to rethink the launch of its family and friends extension because uh, all of us are not fans. <laughs> so in case you missed it, we chatted yesterday about Tinder introducing this new feature which will let you invite friends and family to access your Tinder account and then they can give you suggestions on who they think you should match with. And so we chucked a poll up on Insta and, well, would you let your mum swipe right for you? 77% of people said, no, thank you. I also know we got a few DMs saying they also wouldn't want mates to get added into the mix either. It's not just mums. Okay. Just asking if you'd ask, let your mum swipe right for you is just a sentence that makes sense. You know, I'm singling out mums, of course. But it does feel like if you were to get anyone close to you, it would probably be your mum. Do you know what I mean? I can just see dad, like, spotting a guy holding up a big fish and being like, that man likes fishing. Marry him. <laughs> They're just choosing ones that they want to hang out with rather than what's best for you. <laughs> yeah, it's a recipe for disaster in my opinion. But hey. I don't work at Tinder. Good luck, Tinder. We won't be downloading, but good luck in <laughs> marrying everybody off. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. We don't even have a confirmed government yet, but the election results could already be influencing the housing market. New Zealand's asylum seeker numbers are way up this year, but things might not be as they seem. The bargain supermarket you may not have heard of if you live south of Hamilton. And the story of a tortoise that went on the run. Yes, I did mean to say that, on the run, for three years. I don't understand how a tortoise even escapes anything. But we've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. It's time to take a look at the housing market because, well, there's always plenty to talk about. The country's biggest bank, ANZ, has raised its home loan interest rates along with Westpac and the election has already made waves in the market. Listings are up, people viewing listings are up and interest from overseas buyers is also up. So here to talk through all things property market is Trade Me's Property Sales Director, Gavin Lloyd. Kia ora, Gavin. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Newsable. Kia ora, team. How are you going? Good, thank you. Let's start with these interest rate hikes, shall we? What do we tend to see when those happen in terms of listings and sales and viewings on the listings as well? Look, I think what we've seen recently with with any changes to interest rates is unfortunately a little bit more uncertainty. So I think what we're seeing out there is probably people second guessing what is going to happen. And, and you know, um, we love certainty in the property market because you've got a good base to make, um, you know, sound decisions on. And unfortunately, kind of uh, does delay people's purchasing once they kind of um, work that um, any changes out. And interest rates definitely fall into that camp, as we've seen uh, quite a lot over the last 12 to 18 months. And then, of course, Getting the election result, even though we still are negotiation stations, getting an election result also creates a little bit more certainty in the market, right? And prior to those interest rate hikes, Trade Me had seen some movement on the site. Is that post-election confidence, people having a better idea of what's coming down the track, or is it something else? 
Yeah, look, I think yeah, um, the election, we, we see that every three and a half years, the, the market kind of stalls for a bit of a month there um, leading up to it. We certainly saw that, you know, last couple of weeks leading up to the election. Mm. And we've seen definitely seen a bit of a bounce on the other side of it. You know, listings are up 5.4% if we look at the six weeks prior to the election, and demand is up 2% um, in the week, you know, that we've just had since that result. Now, Gavin, the question that everyone always wants to know the answer to, best spots to buy or to look at right now, where are we going to get the most bang for our buck, given we're going to pay so much more interest on it? Look, I think what we have seen um, across the last 18 months is the affordability side of things has really been stretched for a lot of buyers out there. But, you know, we have seen a significant drop in the value of properties, you know, 17% from the, the top of the market to the to the bottom, which we're kind of at at the moment. So one of the, fa- the the trends that we have seen over that period is is a bit more interest from first home buyers. So if you look at markets like Auckland and Wellington, which, you know, we do spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the affordability side of things, yes, there, there is interest rates out there and constraints around that, but we have seen some pretty big drops from where we were back in the heat of the market, particularly in that Wellington market. And Wellington's really been impacted there. Um, so I definitely think from a first home buyer perspective, there's probably a little bit more value in that market, do, dare I say it. Now, interestingly, Trade Me's seen a spike in interest from overseas buyers and a spike in listings above that $2 million dollar mark. Of course, this is interesting because taxing overseas buyers on houses at that price is part of the way that National plans on paying for its tax relief for New Zealanders. What can we make from that data? I do caution a little bit here, but we have had a look in the in the last week um, at those numbers, and and it has been interesting. You know, we have definitely seen an increase from um, buyers out of Australia and America actually coming on site and looking at property. Definite uptick from what we saw prior to the election side of things, and then also we've also seen a big increase, um, well, a reasonably large increase from two million dollar properties coming to site. So six point seven percent of properties up on Trade Me Property before the election were over two million dollars, and that's gone over. Um, 10% now. So um, definitely a, a couple of areas that we are watching with interest, um, albeit pretty early days in, in that piece. Interesting stuff, Gavin. Something to keep an eye on for sure as this government actually gets confirmed. Um, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thanks very much. Okay, we did ask you this last week, but that was for the semi-final. We're talking Rugby World Cup final weekend, everybody. The All Blacks' fifth appearance in the final. So surely there'll be more of us making an effort to go out and watch it somewhere. Have you booked and a massage this week? No, what? I haven't booked a massage. I knew you were going to come for me. No, I'll be in front of the TV. I'm, if anything, I'm just planning what I'm going to eat uh, during the game. We'll have a poll on Insta. No one book a massage. Let us know where you're watching the big game from this weekend. You're going to watch it from home. Have you booked a table? at a pub, you watch it at someone else's house, get into the spirit. Get amongst. Find us on Instagram, search NZ. A staff investigation has revealed what appears to be a huge increase in asylum claims, but the rise seems to have been driven not by an increase in need, but rather by those who see our system as ripe for exploitation. To explain more about his investigation, we're joined by Stuff Senior Reporter Steve Kilgallen. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where is this information coming from? So I had been hearing for a while anecdotally there was a massive increase in asylum claims. So I did a OIA request to Immigration New Zealand for a whole range of stats. And what it showed was, yet yeah, there's been a massive increase in asylum claims at the border this year. And if it stays on course, we'll have about twelve to 1,300 claims by the end of this year. What sort of numbers are you talking when you say massive increases? The headlines are probably three particular countries, China, India, and Malaysia. 
Indian numbers have gone up 300%, Chinese 400%, and Malaysian numbers 700%. People are describing it to me as an explosion in numbers. And when we talk about asylum claims from those countries compared to places that you might expect to have asylum seekers from, is it all that it seems? I mean, that was one of the questions that, that I had and haven't really had answered. It's probably important to make a difference between people who claim asylum on the border and people who come here as part of a refugee quota would we'll take 1,500 people a year who've been assessed offshore. So I should make that point. These are people who have arrived, got to the border on a visitor visa, sometimes a work visa, sometimes a student visa, and then said, I want to claim asylum. It's um, quite a long process. That's probably one, one key element. So it can take about three or four years for it to work all the way through the system. And one argument that people have said to me from the sector is that this is a, an easy way of staying in New Zealand at least for three or four years because you get a work visa and you get some help. Obviously, in those numbers, there'll be a lot of genuine claimants, I guess, but the, the feeling in the sector is there's a lot of bogus ones as well. And are they all getting their asylum claims or their, their, their applications for asylum put through or are people then getting told no? There's a lot of research into their, their background, the country they've come from. There's interviews, there's exchange of documents. And then at the end of that, if they get a decision they don't like, they can appeal it to the Immigration Protection Tribunal, which hears the whole case again from scratch. So it's not a traditional appeal, it's everything starts again. So by the time we've worked through all those stages, plus there's a massive lag in getting these cases assigned now because immigration staff can deal with about 400 cases a year. We're up to 900 and something ready for the year. So, so there's going to be a big lag in allocation to start with. So we won't know for another three years is just a, is a short and long answer to that. And can you expand a bit on why someone would choose to apply for asylum if it's not necessarily what they need as opposed to going for a work visa or a visitor's visa? The, the suggestion I've got from Immigration New Zealand staff is this all relates to a decision made about a year ago, and I've written a lot about this, to take a light touch on visa applications. You know, the borders opened after COVID. There was a huge amount of people wanted to come to New Zealand, much more than Immigration New Zealand expected. There was some pressure from businesses and tourism to let people in quicker. And so... Basically, the directive came from the government to, to not look at visas as exhaustive as they used to. So the feeling is a lot of people will have got visitor visas who in the past, immigration would have said, we don't like the look of you, you're not coming in. Once you across the border, then you can claim asylum and you're through the door and it gives you that extended time period to stay. So the argument is we could stop these people before they have the chance to get here. And what is Immigration New Zealand officially saying about this? They're saying it's too early to tell whether there's systemic abuse of the system going on. I've heard a lot of anecdotes about specific immigration agents working the scheme and people turning up with a preset, organised set of documents. They're saying too early to tell. It could just be the pent-up demand. We've seen a big increase in visitor numbers post-COVID and they're doing their best to work through the backlog as fast as they can. But um, Erica Stanford, who's Nationals Immigration Spokesperson, said to me that she's pretty astounded by the numbers. One of the first things they'll do when they finally form, form a government is to um, create a lot more scrutiny on visitor visas to try and slow the flow of asylum claims. Sefu Gallen, Stuff Senior Reporter, thank you so much for taking the time to chat this over with us. No problems. This week on The Girls Uninterrupted. I'm not having a go, I'm just no, saying. No, you can, you can. But I would never put them on my face. <laughs> it is a crossbone. So it's 100% yeah. a crossbone. And you are the biggest against Crocs. I actually really like it. I just think that you need to now say Crocs are cool. No, I don't. No, no. (laughs) It's giving hypocrisy. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. The Girls Uninterrupted is proudly brought to you by our mates at Unichem and Life Pharmacy.
The tale of the world's slowest escapee, a tortoise who survived three years on the run, is coming up in a tick. But remember, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, make sure you give us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform so you never, ever miss an episode or a tale of a tortoise. Do tortoises have tails? What is the plural of tortoise? Tor- tortoises. Oh, There's definitely an S. You thought tortoise for a second there. I, I was going to go with tortoise, but I was like, Same. that's dumb. No, tortoises. Jess, give me your ultimate Friday night takeaway. Look, I love a curry, mm-hmm. but uh, because my house is a democracy, it's usually fish and chips. A classic. Have you ever tried making fish and chips? Um, I've tried from time to time, like dabbling in the frozen stuff and chucking that in the oven, but it doesn't really hit the same, mm. unsurprisingly. Maybe I should invest in like a industrial scale deep fryer. I'm going to say that's probably a very bad idea, but of course the pesky old cost of living crisis does mean that fakeaways might soon start to replace our favourite takeaways for the time being, but how much money you actually save, see I promised there was a point to my questions, depends on the supermarket you're getting your ingredients from. Consumer New Zealand has done the legwork for us on all of this, specifically senior writer Chris Schultz who's with us now. Kia ora. Kia ora. Chris, those in Auckland, Tauranga and Waikato are actually better off when it comes to this because of a little thing called soupy. Can you tell people who don't know what soupy is or don't live in those areas what soupy is? I sure can. Yeah, it's it's competition, right? It's competition mm. for the duopoly. It's, a, it's an online-only grocer. They deliver groceries to your front door. You basically log on and then order what you want. And the next day they turn up. Uh, they have no retail stores, so I'm guessing that's why they're able to offer prices that are a little bit cheaper. But uh, I, I guess I would caution also that there are there's a membership fee, right? So you pay a hundred dollars, and then you get free delivery. And to make the most of Soupy, I think that's the way you want to go. I think the delivery fees are about fifteen dollars or so. And so if you sign up, it's free delivery. You get freebies occasionally too. We've had sort of uh, avocados thrown in or tubs of yogurt, uh, bits and pieces here and there if you're a member. But yeah, I, I guess what, what I would caution is that it's it's sort of the way we use it is it's part of the mix. The big thing I realized doing this survey is you need to shop around. You need to take make the most of specials, put that in the mix. So yeah, we use Soupy, we use Pack and Save. There are two main go-tos, and then uh, we go to butchers and, and a, a vegetable store as well. It's quite a behaviour change, though, isn't it, really? Because, you know, um, you've gone with your mum when you were a kid to do that big grocery shop once a week, and that's kind of what you fall into hmm. when it's your turn to, like, take over that grocery shopping. It's The idea that you do, do lots of little shops at different places is actually a bit of a switch. It's time-consuming too, right? Yeah. We've got two kids, we've got full-time jobs, but I think at, at, at the moment when, when prices are so high and, and everyone's just trying to save that little bit extra the smartest shoppers are doing that. They're, they're using an app like Grocer NZ where you can sort of compare prices and make the most of those savings. We asked you what Soupy was and you said it was competition. And I mean, it is only based in those three areas. We know that our supermarket industry here in New Zealand does need competition. It does need another player to formally enter the game. Desperately, but I think this is how uh, that competition starts, right? It's surprising to me. I, I sort of tell a lot of people about soup. You know, are you using it? Have you tried it? And they're sort of like, what's that? Yeah. So I don't think it's hit that kind of 
that same level as like a countdown or a pack and save where everyone knows its name and maybe that's because it's not nationwide yet it's still growing it is early days still for soupy i went out there i think about a year ago and they were all still sitting on like these these really cheap chairs and they were just doing things on a shoestring budget trying to make it work and it's definitely grown since then chris schultz from consumer new zealand thank you so much uh, for your time and i need to go find a butcher It's tortoise time. That sounds like something that should have its own jingle. Or happen every pod, I reckon. (laughs) Tortoise time every time. Uh, This is a story of a tortoise that went missing for more than three years. After escaping its home, it was a pet. You want to know how I know it's a pet? Because the people who found it say that the turtle enjoyed having head pads. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. How on earth... I know everyone else is already asking this, but how on earth does a tortoise escape? How does it move so fast, a tortoise moves so fast that no one sees it making its grand escape? And how do you know that a tortoise <laughs> likes head pats? Does it say, I like head pats? Or... <laughs> Thank you very much, kind sir. Uh, look, these are great questions, Jess. I will aim to answer as many as I can. I can confirm. It's three and a half years of travel. Did only get it as far as eight kilometres away from its home. (laughs) I mean, at least that's on brand. (laughs) And the runaway African Salcutta tortoise was found plodding, that's the word from the Sky News article, plodding around A-Town in Florida by police officers. And they popped a post up on their Facebook and that's how they found the owner who came forward and informed them this tortoise had been missing for three and a half years. Oh my gosh. Now in terms of the escape, apparently this particular species of tortoise this, the African sulcata is known for digging. Like They dig and sit. They like to dig and then sit underground. So I wonder if it spent a year year and a half tunnelling its way out and then around two years making its eight kilometre plod around Florida. And did we learn any more about this head pats? No further word on the head pats. I'm sorry. I did read as many articles as I could about the tortoise to find out more about the head pats, but the owner didn't address that. But I did find something fun. Do you want to know a tortoise's top speed? Yes. I mean, if I could calculate 8Ks over three years, I'd probably find it. But yes, what's a tortoise's head speed? 500 metres an hour. Top speed. So it's hustling at that point. But you know what? I'm probably the same. That doesn't sound so slow. 500 metres an hour sounds like imaging speed. Yeah, that sounds like a plodding speed, definitely. The average plod. Uh, Tortoise time over now, though, because uh, that is newsable for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Imogen Wells. I'm Jess McCarthy. Happy tortoising, everybody. Go and dig a hole and sit in the ground for two years. Tortoise time Thursday. Tortoise time Thursday. If you've got any tortoise yarns... Not mad about it. <laughs> let us know. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.